It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family. Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing financial advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Call Doug, Linda, and Deborah at their office, 919-872-7000, with your financial planning questions. That's 919 919- Now, here are Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Leonard, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this evening? You have a question. Uh, each year I get a bonus, well, lucky get a bonus from my employer. And that bonus is taxed at 40%. I want to know, how can I recoup that in my tax planning or tax preparation? All right, Leonard. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself. Are you are you a salaried employee or self employed? Salaried. You're a salaried employee, and how much is your income? Uh, my overall household income is sixty k. Sixty thousand, and then you're getting a bonus. Is that incl- how, how much is your bonus? Uh, around sixteen hundred. All right, so you get a sixteen hundred dollar bonus, and you're having yeah. taxes withheld. Is that your question? Yeah. Well, the the short answer is you have to pay what you have to pay. So that's the short answer. Now, the question is how much you have had taken out throughout the year on your from your paycheck. If indeed you've taken out enough to where they're taking out more than is necessary on the 1600, then it will come back to you as a refund. Uh, it's also possible, depending on your bookkeeper and your payroll department, you can ask them to take out no taxes and give you the entire bonus. Have you tried that? Yeah, they told me that uh, it was a gift tax applied to all employees that get a bonus. A what kind of tax? Gift tax. Gift tax? That's impossible. You must have misheard them. No. Well, the, well, they don't know what they're talking about. There's no such thing as a gift tax. First of all, a gift tax is uh, is from one individual to another. Over a lifetime, so and, and, that and, would and, never and, apply. Yeah, and the gift tax is paid by the giver, not the receiver. So, okay. yeah, so somewhere, whoever told you that, uh, they're not very knowledgeable. Right. Um, yeah, well, that, that, I give you a perfect example. Um, well, I got this, the, the, the example. The one bonus I got was sixteen hundred, but the only was only hundred. The only thing that was in by my account was nine forty deposited. So you, that was a huge amount of tax. Yeah. So they, so you're talking you're talking about an income tax which was withheld, not a gift tax. Okay. That's an income tax which was with, withheld. The gift tax is paid by the giver, and income tax right. is paid by you. And what they're saying is that they think that that's how much tax you owe. Right. What you can do is you can adjust your withholdings so that throughout the rest of the year, you take home a bigger paycheck. Mm-hmm. 
and that will go ahead and do it because if not, you're going to have to wait until next year when you file your tax return for 2017 to get that money to come back to you. But if you, adju- if, if you adjust the number of withholdings by reducing your exemptions, you'll be able to go ahead and have a bigger paycheck and that will get you effectively the same thing throughout the year. Yeah, I find it kind of odd that they tax it. You know, they say I'm giving one amount, but they throw income tax on it. I get less amount than what they say I'm supposed to get. Well, the the good news is that it'll be reported as taxable income. I mean, it'll show up as taxable income. What you've paid the taxes on, that is what it is. But um, but but yeah, um, reduce the number of withholdings. Yeah, and, that, and, that's and the whole that, thing. Yeah, that, if you reduce your withholdings, that, then you're basically going to have less taxes taken out throughout the year, and that will get your money back earlier than waiting until next year. Yeah. And Are you married, get, and, Leonard? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm married. Yes. And do you have kids? Uh, we have one in the house. Yes. Okay. Do you have a pen, Leonard? Write down my phone number. If you have a pen, write down the phone number nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's 919-USA-7000. And and call my office uh, after we get off the show tonight, and we'll schedule an appointment to get together and meet with you and take a look at your entire financial situation. I would like that. Good. Thank you for calling, Leonard. I appreciate it. Thank you. Enjoy your show. (gasps) Thank you very much. Well, Doug, Deborah, um, we've got some very interesting questions that – Many of our listeners ask that we hear during the week. We do. And some of them are, how should your 401k be positioned based on your available investment choices through your employer plan? Or how do you roll over your 401k or 403b or other retirement plan? And then where should you invest it? How should your overall portfolio be balanced? Should you own stocks, bonds, REITs, or mutual funds? What investment vehicles should you currently be invested in based on your current age, risk tolerance, retirement goals, etc.? How do I prepare for college funding? How do you prepare for financial independence? And what about on the cash flow side? Well, yeah, you're right, Linda, because those questions really pertain to investments first. But there are questions that people have with regard to their cash flow. For example, they might want to know how to invest any surplus money from their paycheck on a monthly basis. Or they may want to know how do they actually create a budget. Or they could ask, what's the difference between my discretionary expenses, my non-discretionary expenses, and my regular monthly expense? Do you have questions about insurance? How do you know if you have enough insurance? Would it be adequate? What type of insurance should you have? How much will you need to pay the other spouse's expenses if you were to die? Now, what about the difference between types of insurance? Should you own term, whole life, universal, second to die? What about long-term care insurance? Are you thinking about that? Do you have a question about disability insurance? What about using a charitable trust to sell real estate or investments tax-free? And are there any investment vehicles that can reduce your tax burden? Should your business be an S-Corp, a C-Corp, or an LLC, or a sole proprietorship? And am I paying enough or too much in quarterly taxes? And of course, everybody has an estate. And questions about your estate are important. You might have a question that says, do you need a revocable living trust, 
a simple will, or credit shelter trusts. You might have a question about reducing your estate tax liability when you die. And you might have a question about avoiding probate costs. These are estate questions. If you want to call us during the week to set up an appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919-872-7000 and we will get started. We'll make a list of the questions that are on your mind. You're listening to Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I just want to say that Life is very precious. It you know, really is. We take being alive <laughs> and living for granted sometimes because, you know, in life we're very busy. And whether it's taking the trash out or paying bills or cleaning the house or running to the grocery store again because we can. You know, we just, we do things that are on the list, that are on our, you know, that are responsibilities. And sometimes we just forget how precious life is. And to those of you that are out there listening to our show this evening, and maybe you've lost a loved one, maybe you're a widow, or maybe you're a widower, or maybe you're a caregiver, and you have a loved one that's terminally ill, or battling a disease. And I just want to say to you, our hearts go out to you because um, yesterday I went to a funeral and life is very precious and people are precious. The people that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And this person happened to be a neighbor. And you know, at first I, you know, I have been very busy. But as I began to remember this person, I remembered that we used to go to the swim team, you know, and we were rooting for the kids and and taking them to pizza after the swim meets and you know, and then when you lose that person, it means a lot. It it brings back a lot of tender memories. So, to those of you that are listening this evening, we hope that maybe we'll bring you a little bit of cheer this evening. Uh if you're suffering loss or maybe Missing your loved one, our hearts go out to you this evening. Wow, that came. (laughs) Took me by surprise there, Linda, but I understand. Estate planning brought you right to the funeral that you went to yesterday. And planning is everything, and life is indeed very precious. There's no doubt about it. If you don't have a certified financial planner to work with, if you haven't met with a certified financial planner, call me, Deborah Lewis, at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. It might be the most important call that you make this year. 919-872-7000. Well, Doug, let's take our next caller. Okay, George, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? I'd like to get your opinion between the relative merits of having funds in uh, one or more mutual funds or having funds under the management of a money manager. All right. Tell me a little bit about your situation. There are different situations that I can recommend in different cases. Uh, how old are you, George? Oh, 60. 60 years old. What's your income? Oh, none. No income. So you're living off of your investment income? Well, you will plus retirement. All right. Uh, well, you got retirement income. Right. Okay. How much is your retirement income? Oh, about uh, 40000 All right. So you've got significant retirement income. No, that's <laughs> Uh, well, that's, I mean, that's important. we got to get down to that point. Right. What are your living expenses? Zero, except for the groceries and 
Now, there's no such thing as if you well, can... Well, except for, you know, uh, I don't have any debt. Well, but I didn't ask you about debt. I wonder how much does it cost to keep you alive. I, I couldn't tell you. Maybe $1,000 a month. Well, if, well, if that's true, if all it takes is 12000 a year to support you and you're making 40000 you got lots of money left over every month. <laughs> you don't know my tax man. All right. See, you got a problem. You're not telling me all the pieces. Before I can talk to you about the mutual funds and the money management, I got to know the pieces. You must be spending more than 12000 a year. Well, I really don't know. Uh, I'm not an extravagant level. Most of the things I... Well, let me ask. Don't cost money. <laughs> well, let me. Well, and nothing wrong with that. We just need to do some planning. Let me ask you this, for example. You're saying you got about forty thousand retirement income. Is that including Social Security? Yeah. All right. And are you spending almost all of it? Once you've paid your taxes, no. You're not. All right. Uh, is your wife working, or is your wife retired? Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, if you're telling me that you're not real tight. That, that 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 your expenses are pretty much being covered by your retirement income, and you're not, and and you still have something left over. Then let's go to your assets. Now, what size assets are you talking about? How much? What do you have in different investments? Well, they're all uh, in in uh, deferred type investments, four hundred one ks and IRAs. How, how much is in, how much is in the four hundred one k? Oh, a couple hundred thousand. A couple hundred thousand dollars, and in the IRAs? Oh, about another hundred. All right, and the, where are the IRAs? At a bank? Uh, no, they have some of them in mutual funds. One or two of them at bank. Most of them in mutual. Most of them in mutual funds. And the four hundred one k is that still with your ex employer? Yeah, you're right. All right, and they handle that. All right. Now you're thinking of doing what? You're thinking of taking this money away and giving? Well, it- I just really hadn't thought about doing anything. I just wanted some guidance on which way to start thinking. All right, let me tell you what you should do. First of all, you want to fi- you want to find an independent trustee. And if you call my office, I'll give you the names of independent trustees. But you want an independent... Yeah, are they money managers? No. Okay. This is a trustee. Right. The trustee simply reports to the Internal Revenue Service that you are not touching the principal so they don't tax you on the principal. Right. Then you want to take your 401k money, the 200000 there, and roll that over to the trustee and set up what's called an IRA rollover account. Right. You want to take the money away from... The uh, um, any of the other trustees for the IRAs, the hundred thousand, and roll that over, and now you have it all in one place under one trustee. Right. Now the question comes: with that three hundred thousand, how do you know? Do you go ahead and give it to a money fu- a, a, a money manager or a or a set of mutual fund managers? First thing you need to realize is a money manager. I'm sorry, a mutual fund manager is a money manager. Sure. that's exactly right. The only difference is he's generally handling a lot bigger amounts right. of money. Right. Some of the uh, mutual funds that I like, for example, the managers are handling anywhere from 4 to $6 billion of money. And what you're doing when you put your money into the hands uh, or into one of those pools, of course, you're spreading your risk over a lot more securities than if you give your money directly to a money manager. So usually, I think... You can do better selecting different mutual fund managers and spreading your money amongst them than you can by trying to go directly to a money manager in your situation. Well, some of these money managers charge as much as 3% per year. Well, the tra- that includes commissions for, for trade. Well, actually, it doesn't. They're not allowed to take commissions. Uh, money managers can't legally take Well, they, they don't take it, but they have to pay them to someone to do their work. 
Uh, yeah, they're, and, and, and they're different ways, but, but that's, and you're right, that's a fee, but it's not the fee that's my problem. I don't mind paying a guy for making his money, but my problem is that you cannot get very strong uh, uh, historical performances. It's okay if you're a really aggressive guy for the very aggressive individual who wants to go ahead and, uh, you know, roll the dice with a money manager. Let's decide how much we'll put in high-risk money. And maybe give him twenty five or fifty thousand dollars and let him play with it. Roll the dice. Uh, but to me, that's not the most conservative way. Certainly for a man your age. Well, uh, I see where you're coming from. I'll, I'll give you a call and we'll sit down and uh, and and look at things a little more precisely. That number is eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA seven thousand. We're here in Raleigh and we'll be happy to help you in any way we can. Okay. Well, George, thank you for calling us that's this good. evening. Well, what's new in the world of investment planning? Well, what's new is that there has always been, and it's being brought up, uh, has been brought up recently, this big debate over index versus active management. In recent years, the idea that active managers can't beat the index has become somewhat of a truism within investing circles. The latest to weigh in is legendary investor Warren Buffett. In his letter to Berkshire Hathaway shareholders, he endorsed this view by advocating low fee indexing as the best approach for most individual investors. So, Doug, what are your thoughts on Warren Buffett's recent comments that seem to endorse index investing? Well, first of all, it's impossible to be an investor and not have tremendous respect for Warren Buffett and his track record. I have a special appreciation for just how difficult it is to do what he has done. Now, Mr. Buffett's approach at Berkshire Hathaway has many similarities to how great active managers have built their superior track records, and that's through what we call bottom-up investing, rigorously analyzing companies building durable portfolios. This is what we call research-driven, long-term, buy-and-hold approach, and that means less trading and lower expenses and actually index-beating results. Wow. Americans need to save more for retirement and to get invested and then to stay invested. So, indeed, uh, I respect what he has done a little more than what he is saying. That's a good way to put it, because in general terms, he says for most individual investors, and that might be for those who uh, do not have a financial planner and do not know uh, about other active management. Now, Mr. Buffett is not the only indexing proponent. Why do you think this view is so prevalent, Doug? Yeah, well, we do agree definitely that the average investment manager does not outpace the stock market over meaningful time horizons. However, a fairly simple fact has gotten lost in this debate. Simply put, not all investment managers are average. It's like we would say, just because the average person can't dunk a basketball doesn't mean that no one can dunk a basketball. And Doug, wouldn't you agree Mr. Buffett and others acknowledge that there are exceptions? Yeah, there are exceptions. The average manager can't beat the index, and so the index funds are definitely a better choice than the average. But selecting a manager whose track record suggests that has the potential to deliver better outcomes can make a very meaningful difference in an investor's life. For example, investors in an index fund will generate market returns. 
On the other hand, by investing in certain select funds, investors can have an opportunity to outpace the index. For today's investors, the difference between the market average and even 1% better returns over the long term can mean a much larger nest egg for a retirement that could last decades. If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Well, Doug, how does an investor find above average funds? Yeah, and that's what we do. That's exactly what we do at Lewis Financial Management. We do not believe in index funds because we believe that there are funds that can consistently beat the indexes. Extensive research definitely dispels the common myth that's impossible for an investment manager to beat the index. Among the tools for identifying them are two straightforward screening criteria, and the first is expenses. So selecting low-cost funds, ones whose fees are lower, can significantly increase your success rate. That's a good first screen. Another screen is one that we like to say when a manager has skin in the game. When they, you know, put it another way, when the manager actually has invested in his own funds that they are managing, they tended to do better over various time frames. Yeah, I like to see managers that have over a million dollars of their own money in their funds. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's the second screen. And using these two simple screens identifies a very select group of funds that have, on average, consistently beaten their benchmark indexes. And this can help increase the probability of identifying some exceptional funds and also screening out the rest. Yes, Doug, and and isn't it important that these managers be actively involved in the funds that they're managing. It's definitely important, Linda. So, Doug, do funds from certain managers offer something beyond the possibility of higher returns? We do not recommend index funds because index funds allow the opportunity to benefit when the markets are going up. That's true. But by investing in index funds, you're also locking in all of the market's losses. Index funds may have their place, but they provide no buffer against down markets when things are going down. Despite the trillions of dollars that have flowed into them, only about half of the investors that were surveyed last year are even aware that index funds expose them to 100% of the risk during down markets. Risk and losses. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so... Actively managed investments, they at least offer the potential to lose less than index tracking investments during market declines. And I prefer to put my money and to put my clients' money in funds whose managers have track records that have beaten the indexes. You know, I really appreciate um, this little discussion that we've had because so many folks that come to us, uh, many of our listeners that have become clients – they have questions about whether they're in appropriate uh, vehicles inside their portfolios. That's right. And That's usually where the, the conversation begins. Exactly. You know, here's what I have. Is it the right place for me to be? Well, and one of the things that I was trying to get at is that because folks still do have questions about what is an appropriate uh, vehicle for their portfolio, 
uh, there, there are just like uh, thousands of people out there that have invested that are being charged fees. And many times they don't understand what are those fees being charged to them for. Or they don't even notice that the fees that they're paying are very high. Isn't that true? Uh, it's it's almost a truism, Linda, because I can rarely remember meeting with a client and asking them, do you know how much your fees are from looking at your portfolio when they bring me their investments? Almost always they have no idea, but it's right there. Uh, it's tucked away. And when I ask them, uh, do you know what that is in a percentage basis? It shocks them when I let them know that the fees they're paying are probably four times higher than what we charge. Uh, and that's so, for, yeah, adv- adv- just advice. This is Deborah Lewis. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. So, Doug, what should people do? What should retirees do about their income? How does one live off their investments if their investments are producing lower incomes than they once did? What's what's the solution? Well, I think the solution for many people is to look for alternatives. You know, there are two ways to create income. And I like to use the illustration of chickens and eggs. If the chicken is your investment and the egg is what comes off of your investment, it's a good illustration. So one way is to go ahead and kill chickens. Another way is to get more eggs. But if you're only owning securities that produce very few eggs, then you're in a problem. So you want to have an appropriate mix of both. You want to have some investments, some funds that are growth funds in your portfolio that are for growth. And yes, you may have to kill some chickens to get some income from them, but you also want some investments in your portfolio that will cover your living expenses that are egg producers. The science and the art of this is is what we do. We help you balance how much in uh, one type of investment, how much in other type of investments. And when people hear of alternatives, sometimes they think of uh, very exotic and risky types of investments. That's not true. There are alternatives that are extremely risky, such as commodities uh, and hedge funds, hedge funds and so things, forth. Right. But there are also alternative investments that are just straight income producer, which are not exotic. And of course, that's what we do at Lewis Financial. We help you balance the portfolio so you have some egg producers and some just chickens that grow fatter. Doug and Linda, when we talk about alternatives, sometimes I think a little um, in the back of my mind that some people often hear that as what we hear is code word for annuities. I'm glad you said that, Deborah. It didn't occur to me when I mentioned it earlier, but if you're out there listening and you think that uh, the Lewises are hinting at buying annuities, the answer is threefold. No, no, and no. (laughs) We do not consider annuities as an alternative, as an income-producing investment. An an annuity is an insurance product from beginning to end. It's just an insurance policy, and we don't approve of them for income. And part of that is because you give up control. 
Uh, maybe uh, explain 100% that, of Deb. That. Yeah, Can you I mean, explain that? Well, let's use Doug's chickens and eggs. And, and as an aside, one day when you have a headstone, <laughs> I think it might have chickens and eggs on it. Because you are definitely the man in Raleigh known about chickens and eggs. And everybody can get that. So it makes sense. It's so easy to understand. But we don't want to ever give up our chickens. I mean, literally, that means if you give away your in- that, that lump sum to the annuity company or the insurance company, you've given it up. It's gone. It's not yours. Instead, maintain control. Have an investment that produces income and you keep those eggs and you keep the chicken. Yeah, and you're right. And I like the way that uh, that Linda threw the question in there because basically the annuity is an insurance product and using that illustration, it's very simple. The insurance company says, give me all your chickens and I'll give you eggs for life, but you get none of your chickens back. And that's the trade-off. We don't like that. We like you to keep your chickens and also keep your eggs. Speaking of chickens, I saw something in the News and Observer, and somebody's renting out their chickens. Did you see that? I did. I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> so if you don't have to buy them, you can just check it out and see if you want to be a chicken farmer or a chicken owner and have <laughs> eggs every morning. Listen, I, hey, I grew up having fresh chickens. I think it's great. Chickens and eggs, yeah. For those of you listening tonight, we're, we're, we're being a little silly here, but... When my kids were younger, we indeed, we had live chickens, and every morning the kids would go out, and they would get those eggs. So it's a very appropriate um, story for us to use, uh, you know, as we're dealing with investments and income. It's, it's a real one, because we did have chickens and eggs. Tom, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Yeah, I want to ask you about buying stock through your company, like through the payroll deduction. I want to ask you what you thought about it, if you thought it was a good idea, a good investment. Nope, I think it's lousy. One of my overall decisions is always, or sets of advice is never buy stock in your own company. And why is that? Why? Because you'll be the last person as an employee to ever know when your company has bad news. I'll tell you, if I have trouble with my company, I'm never going to let my employees know about it. You'll never know what's coming, so never buy stock in your own company. You give them enough of your life by giving them 40 hours a week. Do your investing apart from your company. Okay, well, thanks a lot. Sure, welcome. Thanks for calling. Uh-huh. To any of our listeners, if you have a question or if you would like to receive our introductory packet of information, I'll be happy to send it to you. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That is USA 7000. If you have some financial planning concerns or questions about your situation, get a notebook and start jotting down some of those questions and work with a financial planner. Well, Doug, is this a good time to remind our listeners regarding Egadim? It's a very good time, I think, Linda, because Egadim, which we mentioned last week, that's an acronym, E-G-A-D-I-M. Egadim is crucial when you come down to this matter of the fiduciary standard. So what is the E of Egadim, Deborah? Establish. Establish the relationship. You need, as a client, as the investor, you need to, at your first meeting, establish the relationship with the person you're dealing with. And you need to have that in a written contract. You need to have a contract that they give you explaining exactly what is the relationship between you and them. And that contract needs to say that they are a fiduciary regulated by the Security Exchange Commission. So that's the E. Establish that relationship. Don't do any investing. Don't listen to a sales pitch. 
Just establish the relationship. That's the E of Egadim. Now, what's the G of Egadim? That's gather. You want to gather. They want that your, the advisor should gather all the data that they're going to need to advise you. That's right. Before any investing, any implementation, gather the data. You want to have the relationship established. You want to know that he or she is going to gather the data from you. And then A of Egadim is to analyze. You want to make sure that they're going to analyze before they recommend anything. They're going to establish the relationship by a contract. They're going to go ahead and gather the data from you. They're going to analyze the data from you. And then the D is to develop. Develop a plan. Develop a plan. It could be a written plan, but you need to have a plan developed for you before you come to I. I stands for? Implement. And here that's the implementation of those recommendations. That's right. And this is where the rubber hits the road. Most salespeople, and this is why the fiduciary rule is being was promoted, most salespeople, whether it be a stockbroker, an insurance agent, or an annuity salesperson, they want to go right away to implement. You come in, you meet with them, they give you a sales pitch, and Invest right here. That's called implementing. No, it should never precede the E-G-A-D, the establishing of the relationship, the gathering of the data, the analyzing of the data, the developing of the plan, and only then come to implement. And the developing of the plan should be personal to your Situation, right? That's crucial. And your specific numbers. That's exactly right. And your specific goals. I have seen insurance companies that have little model uh, templates. You throw in the data and it, boops, buy yourself a $200,000 single premium uh, life insurance policy or buy this annuity. No, that's not a personalized plan. You're exactly right, Linda. That's right. And then for the rest of the relationship, it's the monitoring of those recommendations. The M of Egadim becomes the most important. It should be outlined in that first meeting. What are you going to be doing for me? Egadim. Now, the single most important thing that investors can and should do if this rule is repealed is to make sure that they're getting their advice from a fiduciary advisor and not a salesperson masquerading as a, as a financial advisor. And that quote, by the way, comes from Barbara Roper, who is the director of investor protection at the Consumer Federation of America. She's very clear that there are a lot of salespeople out there masquerading as fiduciaries and calling themselves such. It's really hard to do so, she says, because everybody is marketing themselves as financial advisors. Legally, they're salespersons, and they're fighting very hard for their right to profit at their customer's expense. So this is what's new, and it's a big topic out there today. Thank you for joining us on Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Hope you're enjoying this lovely weather that we're having, and thank you for joining us. If you'd like to schedule an appointment, call us at Lewis Financial Management, LLC. We're in Midtown Raleigh. The number to call is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Schedule an appointment and we'll be happy to meet with you and go over your personal situation. And if you happen to schedule an appointment, we are offering three free books. Uh, we will give you, at the time of your appointment, either The Wealthy Barber, uh 
simple wealth, inevitable wealth, or the middle class millionaire. Again, that number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000 to schedule your appointment. Loretta, if you're there, let me see if we can take your call. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Oh, hi, Doug. Hi, Deborah. Hi. How are you this evening? I'm doing quite well, and I hope you guys are. We are. How can we help tonight? Well, I was uh, interested in about the SIP IRAs. Oh, very good. Okay. Uh, how does that work? Uh, like, both my husband and I are retired. But he also has a business. How much is how much does his business generate in gross revenues? Uh, about a hundred thousand. All right, and it's just the two of y'all. Y'all don't have any other employees, do you? That's correct. That is that's the best situation, the by the way. Perfect scenario. The one, yeah, the one story of the SEP IRA that scares some people away is you are required to put into all of your employees' accounts the same amount that you put into your own account. So. A SEP IRA works best for those who have less than 10 employees, so you're perfect. Now, here's the way it works. Uh, are you both employees of the company? Uh, no, no. Just All right. Him. Okay. Well, he can go ahead and take 25% of the income. Let's say, for simple terms, 25% of 100000 is $25,000. But then he has to subtract that from the hundred, So it amounts to about eighteen or $19,000 that he can go ahead and put into. He opens up a SEP IRA, first of all, and we will have, be happy to do that. We do that at our office very all the time. Uh, he opens up the SEP IRA. He puts in $19,000 into it. Uh, he invested in whatever he wants. I... Uh, uh, I would say if y'all are retirees, how old are you, Loretta, and how old is your husband? Uh, 69. I'm 69. He's 65. All right. At y'all's ages, I would prefer you probably be in con- con- conservative mutual funds. Okay? And so you'd put that 19000 in a SEP IRA. You would choose the mutual funds uh, that you want in the SEP IRA. And right away, that's going to go ahead and take about $6,000 off of his taxes. Mm, okay. Now, it's, let me ask you another question. Um, is there ever a possibility of you being an employee of? Because, Doug, wouldn't that increase or double what's available? Uh, yeah, Um Yes, I would. When we do, you have a pen, by the way, Loretta. Write our phone number down. Uh, Write down. Hold on, I have one in my hand. Okay. Write down nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. Okay. That's nine one nine USA seven thousand. And we get off the show, uh, off the air, call my office, and we will schedule an appointment to meet with you and your husband face to face for a consultation. Now, what Deborah was saying was, if you can be an employee also functioning in any way in the business, then there's a way to even put more in because we go ahead and it's always it's going to be 25 percent of your salary, too, of your income, too. You see what I mean? Yes. Well, now, the company is an LLC. Does that make a difference? It does not make a difference. Okay. We can do a SEP. We can do a SEP IRA for an LLC. Okay. Well, this is very good. Tell me a little bit about yourselves. You're 69 and 64. 65. Uh, 69 and your husband's 65. Correct. Okay. And what investment portfolio do you have right now? Uh, right now, every um, 
he has some some of the mutual. Uh huh. Do you know about how much is that in retirement accounts or non retirement accounts? Uh, retirement. All right. And is that in an IRA or a four hundred one k? Uh, it's in an IRA. All right. And do you know about how much is there? Uh, no, I, I, I don't. All right. Uh, that's something I would like to discuss with you offline. All right. Very good. And I, and I prefer to get the specifics offline also. Yes, I do. Uh, but there is one nice thing, too. For people that have an IRA already, mm-hmm. sometimes you can actually link the two together to the where the SEP IRA and the IRA, we can link them together as a combined IRA. Mm, okay. So there's some real creative strategies here, Loretta. And um, yes, do call us, 919-872-7000. And then uh, we will talk and we'll get some specifics. We'll set an appointment. You'll come in and we'll talk about some of the ways that we can address taxes and other issues for comprehensive financial planning advice. That sounds great. And I will call. Good. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Loretta. Thank we you. appreciate your Goodbye. call. Okay. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Have a wonderful week. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Well, Doug and Deborah, uh, we sure have enjoyed our callers this evening. And what else is new in the world of retirement planning? Well, you know, Doug, Linda, there is sometimes a very large tax bill lurking in your tax-free retirement account. And some people may be shocked to find this out. Yeah, that that is a very big shock to many people because the common thought is if I have money invested in an IRA or a 401k or anything, it's all going to be non-taxed while it's there. But there was a, a retiree in Queens, New York, who was referenced in the Wall Street Journal, and she was stunned to receive notice from the IRS that she owed $92,000 on taxes for her IRA account. Whoa. Because like many Americans, she thought the account was tax-free, but she found out she was wrong. And it is absolutely possible to owe annual tax on a tax-deferred retirement account. And most people aren't aware of that. Uh, and, and I would have to say a lot of stockbrokers and investment people just recommend putting investments inside an IRA without checking for this. But taxpayers have to beware that as IRAs get bigger and bigger in size, so does the potential for taxes on those accounts if they have invested in some types of alternative assets like private equity funds, limited partnerships, operating businesses, and real estate. Yeah, this thing that we're talking about, what is this thing that can creep in if you get into some of these speculative, uh, non-traditional investments? The thing that's hiding in many of these investments inside of IRAs is called UBTI, Unrelated Business Taxable Income. And these UBTI rules apply to IRAs. Now, there's no tax if the IRA has interest, dividends, gains from the sale of stocks or mutual funds. But the rules do impose taxes when an IRA invests in operating businesses that pass profits and losses directly to the owners, such as some partnerships, some limited liability companies. They can tax IRA income that is also debt financed. Well, so I guess you really need to be very careful. You've got to be very careful. As more IRA owners look to invest in alternative assets, a couple of things to ask right away before you invest. Okay. 
ask before you invest what the t- this is the time to find out if there is a UBTI. Ask up front. You is know, there a UBTI in this investment? Well, you know, a lot of people don't know how do I find this out? It's all there. Yeah. If you read the prospectus, <laughs> it's disclosed in the prospectus if there's UBTI. If there well, you is- know, you bring up a good point, Doug, because a lot of people recommend investments that may not know even whether the UBTI exists in the investment itself. So sometimes you have to be your own advocate and say, well, if I ask the right question, that person might be able to go get the right answer. That's, now, very good. That's a good point. I imagine there are a lot of stockbrokers right. that sell investments, and if you were to quiz them on what's UBTI, they wouldn't know what you're talking about, but it's right there in the prospectus of what they've sold their customer. Right, right. So even if even if you're uh, the person who sold you the investment didn't know, you need to find out. If something has popped in your head tonight, give me a call during the week. My number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Now, the second thing is, is to understand the tax bite because UBTI is taxed at trust rates. The top rate of 39.5% kicks in real fast. Every IRA does get the first $1,000 of UBTI tax-free or as an exemption. But anything over that $1,000 of UBTI is going to be taxed real high. And so right. you it's need to know that. Trust course, rates, not individual rates. That's right. And that's what we look for. We check yes. all of that. Yes. Even if you've got large IRAs, come see us and mm-hmm. we can quickly tell you if there's any UBTI lurking in any of your investments. Now, Doug, if there is... Who files? Uh, who files this this form or this tax? Who announces that to the custodian that there is this UBTI? Well, you've asked two questions at the same time, Deborah. But the the real question behind the question is who goes ahead and reports to the IRS and files the, and pays the taxes? It's not the individual; it's the custodian. Tax on UBTI does not go on the IRA owner's return. Instead, the IRA must apply for its own taxpayer ID number. That's called the 990T with the IRS. And then the custodian pays the tax. And it can be a real mess. So, Sounds like uh, it. Yeah, it is. And I have seen clients that have come to me and they've had that mess and we've straightened it out for them and so forth. But UBTI is definitely there lurking. And as these IRAs get bigger and bigger... You know, a lot of people, they've worked for 20, 30 years. They have half million dollars or more in a 401k. They retire. They roll it into an IRA. They invest it. Uh, and without even knowing it, some of their investments have got UBTI in there because nobody did the check. So let me ask you a practical question. So in regard to this example that was listed in this article, the lady finds out that because uh, she gets a notice from the IRS. So is it the investment tells the IRS there was UBTI in their investment, and therein, because the investment is held by a custodian, the the investor is told by the IRS, regardless of how it's owned, you own it. Actually, the invest the custodian is told by the IRS oh. that the money is owed to the IRS, and so the custodian is simply going to call you and say, "Well, hey, we got to come up with these taxes. Mm-hmm. What do we do?" And we're gonna now, to- worst case scenario, let's say the ninety-two thousand has to be collected. There is no cash in it. This means that this would force a situation where she would have to 
sell because, something. The custodian's going to have to sell investments. Right, with or without the, the client's That's permission. Right. Yeah. Very complex. So I can tell you that um, IRA rules are are strict and they must be followed. So you must know what you own in your IRA. And if it's at risk of UBTI, give us a call. Make an appointment. Call us at 919-872-7000 to review your IRAs. Well, Doug, Deborah, what else is new in, in the world of investing? Well, I would say as long as we're on the topic of IRAs, self-directed IRA accounts are, can and very often are being used to house real estate. Real estate can fund your retirement, but you have to brace yourself for lots of risks and rules. Self-directed IRA accounts, they do allow people to diversify their investments into assets other than traditional stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And that does make up most retirement plans. But examples of alternative investments would include real estate, precious metals, oil and gas holdings. And here the catch is that the IRS requires a qualified trustee or custodian to administer these assets, such as handling transactions and managing paperwork and reports. And so far in the United States, there are only about two dozen companies that have qualified to act as custodians of these self-directed IRAs. The rules governing real estate IRAs are anything but simple. IRA owners are forbidden from engaging in certain transactions regarding the property. Even something as simple as mowing the lawn of a property you own in an IRA can run afoul of IRS regulations and render the account owner susceptible to losing the IRA's tax favor status, which could trigger taxes and penalties. That's because IRS, IRS rules require contributions to an IRA to be made in cash, not in services. In yeah. fact, yeah. go ahead. Well, I was going to say that the U.S. Government Accountability Office recently issued a report on retirement security last month. They warned that people who invest their retirement accounts in unconventional assets like real estate or virtual currency may be really placing their investment savings at risk. And then you have the whole issue of the RMD, or your required minimum distribution. When you are 70 and a half years old, you're now required to take a required minimum distribution. And this has to come from your retirement funds. So you may have to figure out a way, maybe tapping your rental income or something, to come up with a way to withdraw this required minimum distribution. So here are some things to consider when consi- when creating a real estate IRA. First and foremost, consult a financial advisor for the finer points on self-directed plans. Yeah, they're not for everyone. There are plenty of easy opportunities to invest in real estate using mainstream methods like mutual funds or real estate investment trusts, REITs. It only makes sense to do direct real estate investments if you're a seasoned professional and you're convinced the project you're investing in is an absolute winner and you're willing to take the risk that the IRS is going to be challenging you. So, Doug, Linda, because these are so complex and easy to foil, we don't recommend them. But if you're listening tonight, if you have one, if you have questions about yours, give us a call. Let us help you find what might be in your IRA, what might be susceptible to uh, ruining that tax-deferred status of your IRA. Call us this week, 919-872-7000 to make an appointment. Well, we've really had a lot of topics we've covered tonight. We've covered UBTI. We've covered uh, real estate investing, self-directed IRAs. Uh, we've covered enough, and we had some good callers tonight. 
We've enjoyed all of our callers. We want to go ahead and remind all of our listeners that we will be on again Saturday night, next Saturday and Sunday. Remember always that to us, your money matters because your financial future is at stake. Have a wonderful week, everyone. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Saturday and Sunday at 5 p.m. for Money Matters with the Lewises on 680 WPTF.